going on? Happy Monday. Pete Callender here. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. The phone numbers are 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. Thanks a lot for joining me. I appreciate it. Thanks for letting me be a part of your day. Um, in case you may not be aware, I have drawn up the rules of journalism. I started working on this several years ago as uh, it became clear that the profession that uh, I used to be in and studied in college and then uh, you know, found gainful employment doing right here at WBT for uh, the better part of a decade or so. And um, I noticed that the rules, the standards were starting to get tweaked a little bit. So I started keeping track of some of the new standards and this turned into my rules of journalisming. And uh, I've got now 20 of them, which seemed like a nice, that was a, that was a good number to round, you know, just, the whole number. Like, we like lists, you know, and, and 20 is a good length list. But there are more rules I've thought about adding. But anyway, rule number two on my list of journalism rules is that when a scandal is about a Republican, the story is the scandal. And when a scandal is about a Democrat, the story is about the Republican reaction to that scandal. Okay? This is a key rule. I even consider, I, I, well, I am still, I, even this morning, I was considering moving it to rule one. They're not in order of importance, but I kind of feel like maybe it should be rule number one. Because rule number one is, some say, is the preferred way to introduce an opinion, even of your own, into a story. Without the need to find any actual person to state that opinion on the record. So you could just say, some say, and it might be what you think as the reporter. And you don't want to go find somebody to give you that quote. I mean, my gosh, that's just, ugh, that's work. You know, and if I could just write some say, well, I'm done. That took like a second. Some say, done. And now I can just, you know, send the story to the editors and the fact checkers and all of the people who make sure that everything I write is legit. And I send it off to them. And uh, how are they going to fact check some say? Well, they can't because who are the some? Are they really saying it? We don't know. But some say, so okay. So that was rule number one. Rule number two, when a scandal is about a Republican, the story is the scandal. When a scandal is about a Democrat, the story is about the Republican reaction to that scandal. And we got a really, really good example of rule number two in action this weekend when Elon Musk gave the green light for the journalist who is a liberal, Matt Taibbi. He gave access to Twitter's internal correspondence to Matt Taibbi, and Taibbi began posting what is now referred to as the Twitter files. That's right. So the Twitter files... All right, okay, that's so the Twitter files get posted on Friday. And the first thing that you start seeing a lot of the Democrats in media, but I repeat myself, the first thing you start seeing is, why are they putting this out on a Friday? Oh, it's a Friday evening dump, and you know what that means. That means they're putting it out there so nobody will cover it. Oh, it must be a nothing burger. They were already writing this stuff on Twitter, which I thought was dead. It's so weird. They were all on Twitter talking about Elon Musk, who was going to kill Twitter by Thanksgiving, and they were all on Twitter still. I don't know what the Mastodon accounts were doing. I don't, I'm, I'm not going over there. Um, 
So the Twitter files, have you had a chance to read these things? All of the tweets? They, there are more that are, I guess, going to be dropping. But we got the first round on Friday night. Now, something else to keep in mind. The, the Friday night news cycle dump where, like, a lot of times, you know, the White House will put out um, information that they don't want people really focusing on. They'll dump that late on a Friday evening because of the way newsrooms operate, right? You have, well, look at the TV stations, for example. Did you know, you probably do if you watch any of the TV stations regularly, you know that their anchors do not work a normal Monday through Friday week, right? A lot of them work a Sunday through Thursday week. Their days off are on Friday and Saturday. And that's because of the ratings. That's because of how people watch the uh, the newscasts. Most people are not watching, you know, television news at 11 o'clock at night on a Friday night. They're just not. They're on the weekend. They're traveling. They're, you know, going out to eat or whatever. They're not. They're not hanging out watching the 11 o'clock news on a Friday. Now, Sunday is different. Sunday, you're starting to get ready for your Monday uh, back to work, back to school routines. And so people do watch that. So the anchor schedules are adjusted. So your, you know, your A-list anchor, your A-team, they're going to work those Sunday through Thursday shifts. Generally speaking, okay, that's the way it's been. And the same thing occurs in all newsrooms where Friday afternoon, not a lot of staff uh, hanging around. And so they dump this stuff late on a Friday so people don't pay attention. Newsrooms don't pay attention. There aren't enough people to cover the stories. And if they are uh, covering it, they may not have the expertise because the regular beat reporters, they've already gone home. They've done their stories. They've turned them. They're gone. So a, 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 a Friday night story or data release doesn't get the kind of traction. So that's what a lot of these people were saying on Twitter on Friday night when Elon Musk had, uh, and, and Matt Taibbi had rolled out the Twitter files, uh, the release of the Twitter files. Okay. All right. So th- when they release it, I find this amazing because there is a, there is a dichotomy here. These news people, journalists and pundits and stuff, they're just swarming all over this story before like the, the first tweets start coming down. And as the first ones start coming down, they're bashing Taibi and Musk for the timing of it. But in doing so, they're proving the point of why he's dumping it on a Friday. Because people might not be watching the 11 o'clock news and your newspapers are already, quote, put to bed. Saturday editions already printed, if, they, if they're even printing a Saturday edition anymore with the dead tree copies. But people are on Twitter, right? All of these people are on Twitter on Friday night, and they're all commenting and talking about it. So I will give you the rundown of the Twitter files as the... Yeah. All right, so I will give you a rundown of the Twitter files as they were produced on Friday night and some of the reaction to it. We are also going to get into the Moore County power outages and the recklessness that actually uh, in the reporting that is occurring on it right now which is actually very similar to what the Twitter files topic was when it was released oh my okay all right Cowbell on that, what I'm talking about. 
News Talk 1110-993-WBT. All righty, so here we go. The Twitter files, as posted up on Friday evening by Matt Taibbi. This guy's a, he was an Occupy Wall Street reporter guy. Like, he was a liberal, has been, still is. And Elon Musk asked him, along with Barry Weiss, formerly of the New York Times, these were apparently, are apparently journalists that he trusts, to go through all of these internal Twitter documents and tell the story about what happened in the suppression of the story on Hunter Biden's laptop before the election. Because Twitter did it. And there are a lot of people that are pretending, a lot of mainstream media outlets and their reporters, these gatekeepers, these democracy defenders, right? They are ignoring the story or they are attacking Taibbi for doing it. Actually speaking truth to power, that's what he's doing, right? That That's what journalists pretend that they do. And they're attacking him for it because he's showing us all of the internal discussions that occurred around this censorship decision. And yes, it was censorship. It's not government censorship, right? The Biden administration was not an administration. It was a campaign at the time the Biden laptop story uh, was suppressed when it was censored. But then, of course, they became the administration. And I'm sure that all of the back channels that they had set up between Twitter and all of these people that are now in the Biden administration, I'm sure that they quit using those back channels after he got into office. Right? Isn't that the more believable thing here? All right. So let's get to it. What you're about to read is the first installment in a series based upon thousands of internal documents obtained by sources at Twitter. The Twitter files tell an incredible story from inside one of the world's largest and most influential social media platforms. It's a Frankensteinian tale of a human-built mechanism grown out of control of its designer. Twitter, in its conception, was a brilliant tool for enabling instant mass communication, making a true, real-time global conversation possible for the first time. In an early conception, Twitter more than lived up to its mission statement, giving people the power to create and share ideas and information instantly without barriers. As time progressed, however, the company was slowly forced to add those barriers. Some of the first tools for controlling speech were designed to combat the likes of spam and financial fraudsters. Slowly, over time, Twitter staff and executives began to find more and more uses for these tools. Outsiders began petitioning the company to manipulate speech as well, first a little, then more often, and then constantly. By 2020, requests from connected actors to delete tweets were routine. One executive would write to another, quote, more to review from the Biden team, and the reply would come back, quote, handled. That's it. One word answer. Handled. Celebrities and unknowns alike could be removed or reviewed at the behest of a political party. Both parties had access to these tools. Both of them did. President Trump's administration, they also did this too, by the way. They did. They asked Twitter, hey, what's this? Can you look at that? In 2020, requests from both the Trump White House and the Biden campaign were received and honored. Here's the difference. The system wasn't balanced. It was based on what? 
who you knew. And because Twitter was and is overwhelmingly staffed by people of one political orientation, there were more channels, more ways to complain that were open to the left, well, Democrats, than to the right. Now, Matt Taibbi, is a, being, he's being attacked for this part, for connecting this, because then he has a, a post of the contributions that have come from Twitter employees and where they go, and they all go 99.7% went to Democrats. And so he is attacked for uh, not proving that there were more channels available to Democrats than Republicans. I find it to be a plausible explanation. I find it to be probably more than just mere coincidence. I think there's probably an impact if you've got... uh, If you've got an organization where 99.73% of all the campaign contributions go to one political party, I'm thinking that they're probably going to have more connections to that political party. Especially, by the way, when you give money, especially if you're a Twitter employee making a whole bunch of it and you donate a bunch of it, you pop on people's radar inside that party real fast. Heck, I pop on people's radar inside parties and I don't give anybody any money. I mean, charities, yes. Oh, my gosh. And then they give me money. They send me money. They send me nickels and dimes and quarters and stuff. Notepads and calendars. By the way, if you guys are interested, I'm bringing calendars to the office. I usually get about 70 million of them. Well, I used to. I've moved around a lot in the last couple of years, and I think think I've lost them. Not lost the calendars. I think I gave gave them the slip. Like all of these. Because I get stuff from charities that I've never donated to. They just keep sending me stuff. Oh, and just a sidebar here. If you want to if you want to ensure that I never give you money, send me money by way of like a dime or a quarter. Send me one of those when I have no relationship with you. Just out of the blue, I get a I get a mail, you know, a, a letter in the mail from some charity I've never heard of and they're like, "Here's a nickel. If you could send it back to us, every little bit helps." Like, if every little bit helps, why are you sending it to me? Anyway, So the Twitter files, part one, how and why. So part one indicates there's going to be more than one part, no? Right. To me, it does. How and why Twitter blocked the Hunter Biden laptop story. On October 14th, 2020, the New York Post published Biden's secret emails. That was the headline. An expose based on the contents of Hunter Biden's abandoned laptop. Twitter took the extraordinary steps to suppress the story, removing links and posting warnings that it may be, quote, unsafe. They even blocked its transmission via direct message. That was a tool that was, until then, reserved for extreme cases like child porn. I'm not sure. Did did the designer Balenciaga, did they have a, did they get an exemption for that? That's, I'm sorry. It's too soon? Anyway. White House spokeswoman Kaylee McEnany was locked out of her account for tweeting about the story, prompting a furious letter from Trump campaign staffer Mike Hahn. And he says Kaylee has been locked out of her account for simply talking about the New York Post story. All she did was cite the story in firsthand reporting that has been reported by other outlets and not disputed by the Biden campaign. I need an answer immediately on when and how she'll be unlocked. I also don't appreciate how nobody on this team called me regarding the news that you'll be censoring news articles. Like I said, at least pretend to care for the next 20 days. That came from Mike Hahn at uh, DonaldTrump.com, Trump's organization. 
this then um, led a a public policy executive at Twitter named Caroline Strom to send out a question to the staff on Twitter that basically said, what the hell is going on here? Hey, a reminder, now through January 6th, the Light the Nights Festival. That's Nights with a K. Light the Nights, where you can make merry merry memories. There we go. At Truist Field. So they got a ton of stuff going on there. They got the snow tubing hill. It's like 150 feet long. They've got uh, ice skating rink. They're going to be doing like hockey, uh, uh, I think, lessons and figure skating. And they got tournaments and... Uh, they've got the uh, the shopping area and uh, they got the European menu. Oh yeah, at the Charlotte Christmas Village, ton of stuff going on. Enjoy the light show. It's a great venue. It's at Truist Field in Uptown. Light the Nights Festival now through January sixth. Um. All right. So, Kaylee McEnany, the press secretary for Donald Trump, has her account on Twitter locked after she shares a story that was reported in the New York Post. And this prompts a uh, Trump staffer to reach out to Twitter and be like, yo, what's going on here? This then prompts public policy executive Caroline Strom at Twitter to send out a polite WTF query. Several employees noted that there was tension between the comms policy teams who had little or less control over moderation versus the safety trust teams, right? So you got two different groups, communications, public policy, right? Then you've got, I guess that's two different groups on that side. And then you have on the other side, you got the safety and trust committees, which is basically the censorship board. That's what they were about. Finding reasons to censor people. And so she sends this thing out. Hey team, are you able to take a closer look at this? Strom's note returns the answer that the laptop story had been removed for violation of the company's hacked materials policy, which keep this in mind. This is what Twitter originally said. This was their internal debate because they, they, they banned it first and then they had to kind of, they had to backfill. They had to kind of reverse engineer a, a, a reason, a rationale for it. And so they, they cited the hacked materials policy, which everybody knew was garbage, but that was their first excuse Keep this in mind because as this story is unfolding on Friday night and into Saturday, the, the, the talking points went out. And it was that conservatives wanted to see Hunter Biden's junk. That's what it was about. That's, what the, that, that's their new narrative that they're hoping the, uh, that will calcify thanks to the amplification by voices in the mainstream media. And they wonder why trust in media is at like 10%, right? That's not, it wasn't about Hunter Biden's PP picks, okay? That's not what that was about. It wasn't the reason for the, uh, for the blocking for the censorship. Twitter initially said it was for hacked materials. Never did they ever say it had anything to do with revenge porn or anything like that. And in fact, the New York Post didn't post any of the story. It didn't post any pictures of his junk. It's a newspaper. All right, so 
They say, oh, it's about the hacked materials policy. Although several sources recall hearing about a general warning from federal law enforcement that summer about possible foreign hacks, there is no evidence, at least that Matt Taibbi, the journalist, saw of any government involvement in the laptop story. So no foreign influence here. There was no foreign actor. It wasn't the Russians or Iran right, or Canada. You never can trust them. You just got to keep an eye on. Anyway, in fact, that might have been the problem, he says. The decision was made at the highest levels of the company, but without the knowledge of the CEO, Jack Dorsey. Where the buck stops here? The former head of legal policy and trust, Vijaya Gaddy. She was the one who made the call, played the key role. Quote, they just freelanced it, is how one former employee characterized the decision. By the way, Vijaya Gaddy was fired like the day that Elon Musk took over. This former employee says, quote, hacking was the excuse, but within a couple of hours, pretty much everybody realized that was not going to hold. But no one had the guts to reverse it. You could see the confusion in the following lengthy exchange, which ends up including Gaddy and former trust and safety chief, Yoel Roth. This guy... Yeah, he's a piece of work. He keeps, uh, I think he eventually, yeah, he got fired too. But he was initially somebody that Elon Musk seemed to be relying on. And then he got canned. The comms official, Trenton Kennedy, says, I am struggling to understand the policy basis for marking this story, quote, unsafe. That's what they marked it as, unsafe. Hacked materials, unsafe. Ah. We'll ship you your cry closet. Trenton Kennedy says, I'm struggling to understand the policy for marking this as unsafe. And I think the best explainability argument for this externally would be that we're waiting to understand if this story is the result of hacked materials. We're going to face hard questions on this if we don't have some kind of solid reasoning for marking the link unsafe. Imagine that. This person actually wants some sort of evidence. Somebody responds, Katie Roseberg, will uh, will we also mark similar stories as unsafe? And then includes a link to a Fox News story reporting on the Homeland Security Committee investigating the laptop. So is that also going to, is that also hacking? Do we need to mark that unsafe? By this point, quote, everybody knew this was bleeped, said one former employee. They didn't say bleeped, though. They said the mother of all curse words right yeah but the response was essentially to err on the side of continuing to err Yoel Roth the policy this is yeah uh says the uh the policy basis is hacked materials though as we discussed this is an emerging situation where the facts remain unclear given the severe risk here and lessons of 2016 We're erring on the side of including a warning and preventing this content from being amplified. Former VP of Global Comms, Brandon Borman, says, quote, can we truthfully claim that this is part of the policy, though? As part of our approach to addressing potentially hacked materials, we're limiting visibility of related stories on Twitter while our investigation is ongoing. And this then prompts a response from Deputy General Counsel Jim Baker. Jim Baker. That name sounds familiar. Where do I know that name from? No, no, not the old, was he a former 
Reagan cabinet member, not James Baker, Jim Baker. Where do I know that name from? Oh, that's right. That's Michael Sussman's bestie over at the FBI. Yeah, Jim Baker was the guy that Sussman went to when he said, hey, I got all this stuff on the Alpha Bank, the Russian Alpha Bank, and oh, this this steel dossier, PP tape, and all of that. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm not working for Clinton's campaign at this moment. Right? I am on the payroll, and I am doing all of this other work 24-7, which might actually include the compilation of this oppo research file that i'm now handing to you but i am definitely not working on behalf of hillary clinton at the moment i am handing you this file i'm just a citizen and jim baker says all right and hence launches right crossfire hurricane the investigation into donald trump and the russia collusion story yeah jim baker is now over at twitter by 2020 he's at twitter And he's in the chain of command here making this decision to support the conclusion that we need more facts to assess whether the materials were hacked. At this stage, however, it is reasonable for us to assume there may have been or that they may have been and that caution is warranted. There are some facts that indicate that the materials may have been hacked, while there are others indicating that the computer was either abandoned and or the owner consented to allow the repair shop to access it for at least some purposes. We simply need more information. I mean, we're not going to go ahead and get that information. Like, we're not going to try to track that down. God forbid we call the computer repair guy who is listed in the story. We're not going to do anything like that. No, no. We're just going to shut the whole thing down just to err on the side of Biden. I mean, caution. Back to the Twitter files by Matt Taibbi, posted up on Twitter. It's really remarkable. It's so, he's acting like an ombudsman. It's amazing how many reporters and, quote, journalismers um, in mainstream corporate outlets have forgotten that this thing used to exist. This position used to exist in newspaper land. You would have somebody on staff that would go through your own coverage and highlight where you screwed up. Um, A fundamental problem with tech companies and content moderation. Many people in charge of free speech know or care little about speech and have to be told the basics by outsiders. To wit, in one humorous exchange on day one, Democratic Congressman Ro Khanna reaches out to Vijaya Gaddy to gently suggest that she hop on the phone to talk about the backlash regarding free speech. Congressman Khanna was the only Democratic official that Matt Taibbi could find in any of the files who had expressed any concern. Kudos to Congressman Ro Khanna for raising these questions, for raising the concern to Twitter, even if it might harm the campaign prospects of somebody in his own party. He he wrote to... Uh, yeah, he wrote to Twitter, to uh, Gaddy over at Twitter, and said, uh, this, is, this is generating huge backlash on Capitol Hill regarding free speech. Happy to chat if you're up for it. Best, Roe. Gaddy responds quickly, immediately diving into the weeds of Twitter policy. 
unaware that Kana is more worried about the Bill of Rights. I'm not going to read her email. It's pointless. She just is going through, like, it's not temporarily, it's, it's temporarily suspended, like, going through their terms of service stuff. It's like, that's that's not, that's not what Kana's talking about. Kana then tries to reroute the conversation to the First Amendment, mention of which is generally hard to find in any of the files. He says, but this seems a violation of the First Amendment principles. Okay, you're going to hear people talk about this too now in the aftermath of the release of these files. They're saying that there's, this is not censorship. This is not a violation of the First Amendment because it wasn't the government doing the censorship and people still had freedom of speech. You just don't get to say whatever you want on someone else's platform. But Kana correctly identifies this is not in keeping with the spirit of free speech. It is not in keeping with the spirit of the free press. He says, if there's a hack of classified information or other information that could expose a serious war crime and the New York Times was to publish it, I think the New York Times should have that right. A journalist should not be held accountable for the illegal actions of the source unless they actively aided the hack. So to restrict the distribution of that material, especially regarding a presidential candidate, seems not in the keeping of the principles of New York Times v. Sullivan. I say this as a total Biden partisan and convinced he did not do anything wrong. But the story now is becoming uh, more about censorship than relatively innocuous emails, and it's become a bigger deal than it would have been. It also is now leading to serious efforts to curtail Section 230, many of which would have been a mistake. I believe Twitter itself should curtail what it recommends or puts in trending news and your policy against QAnon groups is all good. It's a hard balance. But in the heat of a presidential campaign restricting dissemination of newspaper articles, even if New York Post is far right, seems like it will invite more backlash than it will do good. Please keep this communication between just us and Jack and no need to CC the team or forward to them. Just wanted to offer my two cents. Ro Khanna speaking as a self-described total Biden partisan and convinced Biden didn't do anything wrong in any of this, 10% for the big guy, he's exactly right. And he tried to steer Twitter off the edge. Within a day, the head of public policy at Twitter, Lauren Culbertson, gets a ghastly letter from Carl Zabo of the research firm NetChoice, which had already pulled 12 members of Congress, nine Republicans and three Democrats from the House Judiciary Committee. And NetChoice says uh, they let they let Twitter know that a, quote, bloodbath awaits in upcoming Hill hearings, with members saying it's a tipping point, complaining tech has grown so big that they can't even regulate themselves, so government may need to intervene. High-level takeaway? Every Republican said this is a tipping point. It's just too much. And both Democrats and the Republicans are angry. Zabo reports to Twitter that some Hill figures are characterizing the laptop story as big tech's access Hollywood moment. (laughs) So what? I think that means that that that, yeah, they're going to get they'll turn around and get elected. That's the okay. Um, Twitter files continued. Uh, Zabo's letter contains chilling passages relaying Democratic lawmakers' attitudes. They want more moderation. And as for the Bill of Rights, they say it's not absolute. They let conservatives muddy the water and make the Biden campaign look corrupt, even though Biden is innocent. They linked this to the Hillary Clinton email scandal. She did nothing wrong. But because the press wouldn't let the story go, it became a scandal far out of proportion. These people really still do believe 
that Hillary Clinton's server was just emails when it wasn't. It was the server and that she still did nothing wrong by routing top secret information through her servers that were unsecured. And according to the reports by the intelligence officials, they they were uh, interceded by foreign powers. They still believe it's just her emails. It wasn't even a scandal. All right, so we'll get to the reaction, the fallout of the Twitter files up next.